Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sophie. I'm Nelly. And this is She's All Fat, the podcast for fat positivity, radical self-love, and chill vibes only. Welcome to the second episode of March Media Fatness, <laughs> four weeks of movies, books, and media to close out season six. Today's episode is Anti-Racist Ally with Sophie Williams at Official Millennial Black. If you like it or even love it, join our Patreon at patreon.com slash she's all fat pod for bonus weekly fatty film school minisodes and to support us. Now here's the episode. Content note, this episode includes some details of anti-black police violence. That part of the conversation happens about five minutes after the ad break if you'd like to skip it. Okay, Fat Molly, I am here with your fave, Sophie Williams, the other Sophie, or maybe I'm the other Sophie, for an SAF book club episode. You know Sophie as Official Millennial Black on Insta. We had her on on our COVID season when her account started gaining traction as an amazing anti-racist resource. And she's here today to talk to us about her book, Anti-Racist Ally, as part of March Media Fatness. Welcome to the show, Sophie. Thank you for coming back to see us. Thank you for having me, Sophie. I'm really happy to be back with you. (laughs) Two Sophies, it's got to be a winner. going to be a winner episode. It's a winning formula. You look very cute right now in your white sweater, by the way. Thank you. We've just come out of this huge, huge cold snap. So last week in London, it was snowing, which doesn't really happen. And it was snowing and settling and like lasting for a few days. So I was like, I need knitwear. So I went on eBay and got this like vintage men's cable knit. It's so cute. I I love it. it. I love a good knit. So fun. (laughs) The heat got turned on here today, even though it is uh, California and it is not, it is not that cold here, but you know, it's cold and it's cold in my house. Yeah. It's all relative. (laughs) It's all relative. So I have your cute little book here. I was looking at it with my roommate who used to work in publishing and she was commenting on how cute she thought the like size and cover and like all the packaging aspects of it are, which it is very cute. It's so cute. I love her. It's so cute. And it's such a little like, it looks just like your Instagram feed. It's like nails your brand really well. Yeah. What, and, and I love that it's small, not just... 
it's like short. I don't know what the right word for this is. I don't know how big this book is compared to other books, but it's a short book. And then it's called like a pocket guide, which I love. Tell me about this pocket guide idea. Yeah, it's really interesting. And actually I've got my copy here and the American <laughs> version is a bit bigger than the UK version. Really? Yeah. So even that like little cute small thing, it's bigger than what I've got in my hand. That's because Brits, Brits generally have tiny hands. That's the thing we know here <laughs> in America. Yeah, famously, famously. It's one of yeah. our biggest yeah, yeah. problems that we struggle with to be honest yeah um <laughs> but yeah I really wanted to make something that was accessible so in the UK this book is I think like six pounds so it's super cheap and that was really important yeah. to me and yeah I was quite pushy about the design to be honest I love the design I love the design as well and it, was, it wasn't it was one of the team from HarperCollins that did it. I actually brought in a designer who I'd worked with and I knew that she was amazing and that she sort of went the extra mile. And so I just really wanted to have her working on this with me. Um, and it felt really like a co-project because the inside of the book is also quite designed. Yeah. And so, yeah, I really felt happy to be collaborating with her. And she really went above and beyond. So if you, if any, if any of your listeners can see or have ever seen the cover, it's like a little pink book with black font. And that black font is kind of textured. And the way that we did that actually was she did a letterpress. She got bits of wood and she made a stencil of every single letter. She Whoa. inked them and she printed 12 like presses of each letter yeah. just so it didn't look repetitive and then she hung it out in her garden to dry and then scanned it all in so yeah it was a real labor of love for her her name's Rebecca Pets Davis she's an amazing designer if anyone ever needs any design Beck is your woman yeah we'll link her in the show notes I'm so happy with it yeah she did an amazing job that is so cool so now I know like and the inside on the left hand pages it's like similar typeface to the front and so now I know those are all Pressed. That's yeah, so cool. All hand printed. That's so wow. yeah. I'm blown away by how talented she is. That's amazing. What a fun thing to like feel so on top of like even the aesthetics of the book that you put out. That's very cool. Yeah. So tell me about the idea of it being a pocket guide content wise. Like mm. it's very approachable for a millennial audience visually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's very much like this could be a stocking stuffer or like anybody, anybody could pick this up, you know, like it's very like whatever the good version of like sinister subconscious messaging is because it's so (laughs) like, it's so perfectly millennial that anyone would be like, oh my goodness, I'm going to pick this up. And then they learn a bunch of stuff. Like it's very approachable looking, you know? Yeah. I think so much of what I found from doing this on social to begin with is that people are scared of this conversation. People are scared of talking about race. People are scared of all of the stuff that's wrapped up in it. And so what I wanted to do was make something that was approachable and as cheap as I was allowed to make it. And feel free for some of your listeners to take me up on this. When people message me and they say they can't afford it I'm very happy to send you the pdf because it's sort of the message that is important it's not about sort of you know the revenue behind it and so I really wanted to make something that was that low barrier to entry in as many different contexts as I could make it so yeah it doesn't look scary the text is quite small in as much as there's like small chunks of text on each page so you can sort of pick it up and put it down and 
Yeah, it was all very, very deliberate because I think for so long we've had conversations about race in this sort of lofty academic way that you have to wade through reams and reams of academic research. And that just means that the work is being done, but it's not reaching anyone. It's not doing anything or changing anything. And so because I had already spent my time reading those really sort of tough papers, I know how intimidating they are. So I wanted to make something that was approachable. And I guess the other part of it was I didn't have much time to write it. So I was already writing the another book which is coming out soon and ooh, exciting. Ooh, ooh, ooh. And I had to <laughs> pause that to write this and I had 9 days from HarperCollins oh saying, "Yes, please write it." to me saying, "Here it is. Do you like it?" Oh my god. <laughs> so That's so short. Yeah, so it's kind of also by necessity. So like not having the time to overcomplicate it, just saying what I wanted to say, hoping it made sense and then just being like, here we go. Do we do we like this? Wow, that's wild. Mm. Um, Nine days is not enough for me to do anything, (laughs) let alone write a book. (laughs) That's truly wild to me. I would spend the first seven days panicking about it. For sure. I spent quite a lot of time just not doing it in those nine (laughs) days. I was just like, I don't want to. Yes. Oh my God. I think that really comes through. I was struck when I was reading it by how, like, I think this question and answer, the way it's set up a lot, not all of the, the, the bold face pages on the left are questions, but a lot of them are either questions or kind of topic headings. And then they're explained more on the right hand side. And you hit on all of the things that people say on these left-hand side things. Like it is, it does very much like a, do you feel like this? Okay, then this. And it really, I was like, okay, cool. Like I want to get a bunch of these just to like give to people because it's like harder to get somebody who might say or have questions about these things to buy into some of that like more intense work, like you're saying. And this is such a perfect little intro. It's clear, it's concise. And it gives people an answer to their questions and then invites them to move on to, like, the next step in their learning, like, on their own. Yeah. Like, this book is, like, encapsulates so many intro conversations I've had with people. Do you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and that's so... Help! It's so helpful. I want to buy a bunch and give them out. (laughs) Thank you. And I think the criticism that I get most about it is that it doesn't go very in-depth. But that's not really what this is for. I see this as for someone who wants to start but doesn't know where to or how to or someone who has started but then feels like they don't know what to do next or they don't know how to be effective or how to keep up that momentum. I see that as the group that I'm trying to reach with this. And that's why at the end I have um, a reading list because I find it as well in my social. I feel like I've had to have a tone that's very inclusive. I feel like I have to have a tone that's like meeting you where you are. And essentially my social is kind of nicer than I am. I'm a bit more hardline about things. (laughs) Yeah. But I felt like if people were coming to me unexpectedly because my Instagram sort of became big without me planning to or without it being something that I ever imagined... If that's the people who were coming to me and that's where they were, I felt like I needed to be a safe entry-level point. And I really, really hope that this is the beginning of people's journeys. Right. This shouldn't be the end. This should be, you're here and now we take it up. Who who do you follow next? Who do you talk to next? Who do you learn yes. from next? Because this is just essentially like getting you in the door or getting you to the next step. And then 
someone else has to take that on. And there are so many people who have an audience who are ready for that and looking for that. But my conversation is softer than that because people came to me looking for a way in and that's what I was trying to give to them. Yeah. How does it feel to be like that being your audience? Do you have feelings about that? Like, I mean, that you can say. (laughs) Like, I relate to that in terms of like, there's a lot of levels of understanding about body positivity and fatness as Mm -hmm. well. And I want, like, I try hard to make this podcast relatable and approachable for people at all levels Mm -hmm. of wherever they are. Like both for people who are same spot as I am, super, super like fat activisty, like, you know, whatever. And people who are still like, I'm not sure I want to stop dieting. I'm not sure I want to do this or that, you know, but sometimes it can be hard to manage that widespread. Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? Because you want to be doing the best that you can. And I think when you know that you're trying to engage a widest group as possible, I think the first thing I had to do was think, why am I trying to engage this widest group as possible? Is it a vanity thing? Do I want everyone to like me? And I don't think it's that. I hope it's not that. I think it's because people came to me saying no one's ever explained it to me like this before I've never felt able to have this conversation before and so I felt like okay I can have this conversation with you but it's something I think about a lot and something I need to sort of keep thinking about and keep assessing am I comfortable with this still is this still the conversation because I mean it's tricky isn't it because I this time last year I just saw like, you know how Facebook does um, your memory? Yeah. So my memory from today, last year, was saying, oh my God, I've got a book deal. And, (laughs) you know, since then I've written two books and suddenly, yeah, suddenly gone from having no followers to having almost 200,000 followers. And I haven't had, it's so much and it's so quick. And that sort of followership has come, I'd say in like six or seven months. And so I haven't had time to be planned in what I was doing I just had to keep trying to do what felt like the right thing to do in that moment in that conversation in that project or whatever that was but yeah I do like it's probably the thing that I worry about most like in doing this am I coddling people am I putting the interests of white people ahead of the group I imagined I'd be speaking to which is black people because the book that I was working on before I paused to write this is about black women in the workplace and that's that group of black women is who I always imagined would be my audience but at the moment that's not who my audience is yeah and so I wonder if I'm selling out I wonder if I'm doing the wrong thing but I feel like so long as people keep saying I have had a conversation I've never had before. I have made my first ever donation. I've signed my first ever petition. Then it feels worthwhile. And when it stops feeling worthwhile, I'll stop doing it. Yes, those conversations can, it's both what you're saying. They can be really rewarding and they can also be really exhausting to have Mm. over and over and over. So that makes total sense. And I'm glad that you're giving yourself the freedom to like move into the spaces that feel right at what the right time mm-hmm. you know there's times when I have no patience for you know one-on-one conversations with friends or or strangers and there's times when I can spend a while being like you're okay like let's talk well blah, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. it can take a toll so it's like not always you know it's not always there and also there is a tension of you being a black person with like a large white audience right now and that's got to be exhausting in its own way and 
you may not want that always. Like you were saying, you wanted your original audience to be black women in the workplace. So I feel like really what that means is your audience is just going to keep expanding. <laughs> Hopefully. Hopefully. Hopefully I haven't yeah. annoyed them enough that they don't no. <laughs> feel like engaging but hopefully like I feel like if anyone pushed me about anything I've done I would be able to say this is what I was thinking in that moment and this is why I thought that was the best thing to do yeah yeah and I think that's important and I think it's important that I'm not personally tying myself like if I could do this again would I even use the word ally I'm not sure but it's a snapshot of what seemed like the necessary conversation in that moment. And that's all I can do, I think. I can just try to do what I think is best and most effective at the time that it's happening. Definitely. And you're not boxed in by anything, you know? This is one conversation. Mm. And this is like, I mean, the whole point of this conversation is that it's not the end. Like Mm. if somebody just got your book and then they were like, I'm done, I'm an ally, you would be like, no, you're not. Yeah, like, like, oh, I wrote it wrong. <laughs> yeah, right. So, like, it's very clearly like an intro slide, you know? It's like trying to point people in the right direction. And I think in, like, a way that also hopefully would be, like, saving people who don't want to have those conversations from having to have, you know, I could see mm. somebody giving this to their mom or to a friend and being like, yeah. let's talk about this afterward or whatever. Yeah, you know? I've heard from several people, actually, who have just been, like, they don't have good relationships with their parents, for example, and they've just been like, take this and read it and we'll talk about it afterwards. And that feels really valuable. And another thing that's been really surprising, and this has turned into sort of like a self-help session, but not like a self-hope, like a Sophie helps me session. (laughs) This this is mutual Sophie aid session. (laughs) Another thing that's been really interesting is because it's like this cute pink small thing like we've been talking about kids are reading it people are saying oh my kid picked this up and chose it for their bedtime reading so we're reading that and it's perfectly approachable for kids too I feel like you know I'd never imagined it like I'm just someone who kids don't sort of feature in my mind at all so I'd never (laughs) sort of been like oh what's this like yeah yeah people people are reading it at bedtime with their children I did a podcast um, a couple of days ago with a school who's been reading it, like, you know, in their socially distanced learning. I had someone who is a um, guard in a prison saying, wow, we have a mostly white employee base. And so every morning in our morning meeting, they're reading a page out and they're talking about how they can best serve the communities that they are working with. So it's sort of been really gratifying in ways that I've never imagined. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, yeah, I think there is not, I mean, you can't shove Angela Davis in everyone's face and expect them to have the tools to read it. Like, Mm. that's what I wish we could do. Yeah. But like, if somebody had shown me Angela Davis in high school, I would have been like, huh? What's going on? You know, like white American society does not, you know, American specifically, because I don't know what it's like in Britain, but I'm sure it's the same, doesn't give you the tools to like understand a lot of this stuff as a white person you're just not like purposefully you're kept away from experiences you're kept away from points of view you're kept away so that's you know while I think it's important to have things like this that allow you to have an entry point somewhere for people who potentially could be allies but who are uneducated or don't you know yeah I think for a long time we've had people who have been like comfortable that they are not personally racist And so their feeling is, so the whole conversation around this topic isn't for me. It's not about me. It's not by me. I've got nothing to do with this. 
And so I'm hoping to sort of say to them, you might not be in the street committing hate crimes, but that's not being part of solving it either. So that's what I think that we saw more of in 2020 and that I hope we carry through forwards that not being active is an action. Like it's not solving something and I'm asking people to be part of solving something. Yeah. You mentioned in the book and I have seen other people say this, that there was a big wave of white interest in anti-racist work in the summer Mm. and then stuff has gone down. So what do you have thoughts on that? What can we white people do <laughs> to yeah. provoke each other more into this? Yeah, tell me your yeah. thoughts. That's, that's the other thing I worry about because yeah. I can sort of gauge the temperature of what's going on best by looking at how people interact with me and, and accounts like me. And yeah. I know that over the last few months, my follower numbers have gone down. They They steadily go down and... I don't mention that as a vanity metric, but as a no. gauge of engagement in that sort yeah. of conversation. And it feels really worrying to me, not because I'm going to lose my platform, but because it feels like people don't want to engage unless they have a new video of someone being killed or hurt yeah. or maimed. And I really want people to turn one-off actions into habits. I really yes. want, if you're able to make a donation, are you able to turn that into a standing order? If you're able to sign a petition, are you able to share that with some more of your friends who are able to do that as well? Yeah. One-off actions are valuable in that moment, but they could be so much more valuable if we build accountability buddies, if we have someone who says to us, what did you do this week? Who did you speak to? Who did you phone bank for? Who did you write to? Like all of these things. And I think that's where I really want people to get to because I don't want us to need more people to die for us to care again. I know that that's like quite a morbid message, but I really feel that we have to be active. No, I get that. And there's been many things written about the feelings that people had that like black people had about the overwhelming outpour of white feelings, you know, Mm -hmm. then around that time and then wanting to see it transformed into action. And I also hope that like people continue to be part of the movement. And I see this book as part of the scaffolding to get people who were previously unactivated more into the movement. I hope they continue. It is like, I think that is disappointing that you have lost followers in that specific way that you're talking about that like, you know, maybe people are less interested now for, you know, because what, because it's not like trending or something, Yeah. but like all we can do is like keep moving on it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And every week I say to everyone, what have you done this week? And I yeah. share all of the responses and I share exactly how many responses I've got. I say 175 this week or 32 this week, because I yeah. want people to see how that sort of fluctuates Shifts, as the news yeah. cycle fluctuates. But one really interesting thing that I've been able to do is businesses now invite me in to talk to them about anti-racism and allyship. I do that several times a week. I run lots and lots of sessions, but I also am able to use that as sort of a Trojan horse to talk about other things (sighs) I want to talk about. So once you've got me into your business, I'm standing in front of people and I'm like, put your pronouns in your bio. How Uh are you treating people with different bodies than you? How are you treating like accessibility? Like, you know, 
all of this stuff like what what is the queer representation in your business and what are you doing about that so like I think anti-racism and race is a conversation that I'm very comfortable having and I have it a lot and now that that's sort of caught on with businesses that gives me a way to go in and be like right we've got a lot to sort out here are you ready yeah yeah totally that's good because it gives you some you know financial support for your Mm. work which instagram has like you know up and downs in terms of financial stability hopefully what continues to happen i mean the goal of of getting people into a movement is that their actions become part of their daily routine not Mm -hmm. not a reactive movement to something you know and i think you're doing that one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes nice dress uh it's a it's a t-shirt until you tried it on same goes for your health care that's why united healthcare offers a variety of flexible budget-friendly coverage for medical vision dental and more so whether you're between jobs coming off a parent's plan or even missed open enrollment you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Can I ask you a quick question? Yeah. How is the conversation around fatness? Is that stable? Does that fluctuate? Like, how does that look? I feel like it's really hard to tell because... I think a lot of it is siloed in various internet arenas, Mm -hmm. especially not being on social right now. I'm like, you know, it's hard to sum up, but there's been stuff written about like the whole beginning of body positivity Instagram movement. Back in season one, we talked to this like woman who did a master's thesis on how like body positivity on Instagram became completely suffused just with like white you know, white women with one role or whatever. So there's always that aspect of body positivity and fat stuff. And then there's also for many years, like since before I was born, been like the interesting side of like a more academic discussion, more in-depth fat theory, Mm. you know, and then there's the other branch of like people getting mad online, people talking a lot. I feel like in general, the fat movement is not super centralized Mm -hmm. and that's partly because so many fat people have so many different ideas about what they want and where you know there's not like a centralized focus yeah yeah Yeah. and I think it's interesting because like disability fatness is a group that anyone could join yes people might not see themselves in that group But it just takes not very long for you to suddenly be part of this group and it suddenly matters to you in a way that you might not have ever imagined before. I think race, you grow up with a pretty good idea of your race and that will change a bit over time. But fatness is a group that you could suddenly find yourself in relatively unexpectedly and I don't think that there's much conversation around that. Yes, well, because so much of the conversation about fatness is centred in this idea that you you can get out of it. Mm. just as quickly like so much of it is centered around the idea of choice fatness Mm -hmm. being a choice which I'm sure you know like 
resonates in, in all the other, you know, people act like people with disabilities or people who are black or whatever could just work harder to get mm. out, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing is across isms. But I think it's because fatness is seen as a like personal failing by a lot of yeah. society, then it's kind of like a there but for the grace God go I thing. Mm-hmm. A lot of people aren't as invested in fat liberation because, you know, they see something like, uh, I don't know, I think about like, remember when that blogger Natalie was harassed on that plane in 2017? Do you remember when that happened? Her at was like, Natalie means nice. And she sat next to a guy on a plane who was like texting really visibly like, oh, I'm next to this fat pig. Like, let's hope she didn't have Mexican for lunch. Like, blah, blah, like all this stuff. And she filmed it and was like, what are you doing? Like, why are you being so rude to me? Mm -hmm. And the reaction was so painful for me to see because so many people were like mad at her, you know, for taking up space. And so anytime that kind of big public thing happens, I'm like continually reminded of like how big the spectrum is of beliefs and thoughts and things about fat bodies that Mm -hmm. exist, you know, which makes me more likely to become more siloed in my fat positive circle because so much of it's so painful, you know? Yeah. Because of, um, because it's currently America's Black History Month. Yes. I wanted to make some posts as a fat black woman, I wanted to post yeah. about fatness and blackness during your collective Black History Month. Yeah. And so I did. And I don't know if this is going to be triggering for anybody listening. It's not like horrific. But I just got so much more pushback about mm. my posts about fatness than I've mm. ever got about talking about race. Mm. And so when I do interviews, people love to say like, you know, what's your pushback like? You know, people must send you horrible messages all the time. And I'm like, no. But when I posted that, that post about the history of fatness and blackness and how they intersect and interact, that's when I was getting comments like just unacceptable comments. And I was like, you know, I'm always quick on the block button. But I would have thought without having looked into it that blackness would be a more controversial topic than fatness. But it doesn't seem like it is. I mean, they're very tied, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, a lot of anti-fatness is essentially Mm anti-blackness at its core. It's just that people don't want to recognize that because that would force them to see how unlogical it is to be anti-fat. Like what I'm saying, I wish everybody could read Fearing the Black Body, Mm -hmm. but that's like a hard academic text. Hopefully more people who read your book will get shuffled towards that, you know, Mm -hmm. and see more about... Because when you read something like that, or you just like take the time to really take apart fat phobia and see what's there, then it's really clear how much of it is anti-blackness and specifically anti-black women. Mm -hmm. But I would bet a big reason you're seeing that pushback is because people are like less comfortable pushing back on stuff like white people are less comfortable pushing back on stuff that they've maybe seen like more around them in the last year. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. A lot of white people like to say like fat phobia is less acceptable ism. Like that's not true. Like mm-hmm. racism is alive and well, you mm-hmm. know, like yeah. police aren't killing just white fat people. They're killing black people. And sometimes fat phobia gets in mixed in, you know, mm-hmm. but the way that the police said he would have been alive if we hadn't, if, because if he wasn't so fat, if we hadn't kneeled on his neck, you know, that kind of thing. Right. It's like, that's fat phobia and racism, but it's racism yeah. first. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, it seems like a terrible post-justification of a racist action. Yes, yes exactly. Through a fat phobic lens, yeah. Yeah. Well, this is a cheery chat, isn't it? So, yeah. <laughs> I was you like, I want to make real. sure we talk about fatness. And I was like, oh, oh no, I took us down a bad path. 
<laughs> no, you no, it's not a bad path at all. It's just real. It's just real. And it's like the real issues with trying to combat this stuff. Like I think about the same things we're talking about all the time. Like, mm-hmm. is my message too soft? Where should I be harder? Who am I excluding with this? Who am yeah. I including with this? Who am I making feel comfortable? Who am I not making feel comfortable? Am I leaving someone out that I really want to include? Like, it's hard. It's yeah. hard to figure out when all of a sudden you're positioned as like a source on something when you're not really. Like, yeah, you're just absolutely. like someone talking. We're just trying to figure it out. And I think yeah. that's been really interesting for me because I would look at accounts like mine previously and being like, well, they know. And now yeah. I am an account like mine and I'm like, I'm trying to know, yeah. but I'm just trying to figure it out. And I've had to learn to be much more open to feedback than I was this yeah. time last year. Like I used to post about like minority people and then someone was like, no and I was like "Mm -hmm, yes and then it turns out the answer is no like I had to change that language I think we need people to be like that we need people to whatever platform they have be open to someone saying I don't think this is right and my response initially was well it is yeah but then it turns out it wasn't and I had to go to that person and say this person who was a stranger who had taken time out of their scrolling to say I think he could express this better I had to go back to them and say, thank you. I wasn't in a position where I was able to hear that. And it only took like a couple of hours or maybe a day for me to be like, oh, right, they are right. But I had to have someone external to me say, you could do better about this to try and do better about it. That's happened to me all the time, constantly. And like a lot of times I'll realize something that somebody said to me a year ago or six months ago, and I'll be like, oh, oops yeah. <laughs> you know like it'll it takes a while sometimes yeah especially because of what we're saying that none of this is very top down we're in fact we're fighting against a system that's very top down and so there is no source of authority for us to reach for it's just us like learning and trying yeah you know yeah and trying our best yeah it's really interesting especially like when I started when I started doing this all those months ago <laughs> yes yes <laughs> Some people in the British press were like, meet the UK's face of Black Lives Matter. Oh and God. I had to just be like, no, no. Yeah. Like, one, I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm trying to know what I'm talking about, but I'm figuring it out as much as anyone yeah. else. And yeah. also, two, and this is not like a good sentence for your listeners, but look <laughs> at me. Like, <laughs> like, I'm this incredibly light-skinned, blue-eyed, freckly black yeah. person. As far as black people go, I have this huge proximity to whiteness. And I might have spoken about it last time I was speaking to you because I try and speak about it as much as I can because it's no coincidence that the voice yeah. of someone talking about race yeah. and blackness who people are willing to listen to is someone who looks like me because I'm not threatening. I'm not seen as scary. I'm not seen as all of the negative associations that we've been taught to put with black people. If I straightened my hair, I could probably pass for like an interesting, exotic white person. (laughs) Spicy white. Exactly. (laughs) What? (laughs) That's what what we call Italian people, spicy whites, because sometimes Italian uh, New York people sometimes look tan you know what i'm talking about spicy whites <laughs> is that not a term in the uk no can't say it is. <laughs> but i also can't say we have a big um italian immigrant population in the same way that america does i mean it's not like a serious <laughs> term i wouldn't use it in a class but like there's a lot of white people who are spicy whites and sometimes they use that 
this is getting into a whole other thing. (laughs) But, you know, there's been a lot of stuff about, like, on Twitter recently about, like, people who end up just being spicy whites kind of leaning on that, like, resemblance to being a person of color to, like, get, you know what I mean? So, anyways, that's that term. Well, that's so interesting because... We don't have that term, but I understand exactly what you're talking about. And I completely understand the experience of having a question mark next to you. Because for so long, like until my mid-twenties, I like straightened my hair. And I wasn't consciously being like, I want to be whiter. But I was consciously being like, I want to be prettier. I want to be like my friends. I want to not have to... that's what you were shown. Yeah. I want to not have to justify who I am all the time. I just want to move through the world more easily. And I think that's so interesting that that's the inverse of what you're talking about. That's a non-white person being like, how do I maximize that proximity to whiteness subconsciously versus a white person being like, how do I maximize that otherness, that interestingness? I also think often from the white person, it seems unconscious at first and then just develops into something bad. Mm. But it's obviously a much different experience than like somebody trying to understand why they're more drawn to like whiteness, which is like obvious because it's the power structure, you know, it's like wanting to be accepted, wanting blah, blah, blah. That's so funny. I can't believe I taught you the term spicy way. Now Lynn has to make sure I'm not going to be canceled by saying that. I've literally just heard people use it to be like, oh, like, is that person a person of color? And they're like, no, they're just a spicy way. They're just like Italian or something. You know? I'm going to Google it after this. I've, I've truly never heard it before, but I completely understand what it's like encapsulating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I wanted to talk about these cute pictures of you next to these big billboards that you got because that's so exciting and I love seeing you and your little cute coat your cute (laughs) fat coat next to this big billboard so tell me about these billboards for your book I just think it's very cool thank you so yeah I got billboards (laughs) I don't even know what to say about it I got billboards and they were planned for a while and they came out two weeks after we went back into a national lockdown. So I'm the only person who's seen my oh billboard. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I got in an Uber, in my little face mask, found oh. some, got out, took a photo, got back in my Uber and went back home. <laughs> that is so funny. I mean, your outfit in these pics is adorable. I'm always looking for coats that fit fat bodies. So please wreck these really cute coats. I think it's just ASOS. I think it's just... <sighs> So it's like from the front, it looks like a trench. From the back, it's bright bright green. It's got like a neon orange belt. But yeah, I think it's just old ASOS. Love it. I'll have to look more into it. Okay, final serious question. I don't remember if we talked about this last time, but do you feel like being on Instagram, like, and having a lot of posts that are text posts or like talking about ideas, you are still like a fat black woman. So do you, how do you feel like you're like fatness interacts with your social media presence do you feel like that is part of it for you do you feel like it's like are you conscious of that when you try like show pics of yourself or pics of your face like how does that interact with having like a lot of text posts this is like a badly Mm. phrased question do you understand what i'm trying to ask i get it yeah i guess the question is sort of where are you in your story and when you crop up how does that make you feel Mm -hmm. and so i didn't mean to have a very non-me social a social that sort of is primary primarily like information so infographics and text and all of that stuff and I do have my own I have a personal Instagram where like I'm all over it you can't move the pictures of me yeah (laughs) 
but it wasn't a conscious thing to do. But then the first time I put up a picture of myself, because I was like, this is a wild thing that's happening. And I want to be a character in my own story. I want to be a part of what's happening. And the very first time I put something up, someone said, oh, is that a fat suit? Is that an anti, is that a fat suit or is that an anti-fat suit to help you lose weight? And I was like, fuck you, this is maroon leather jumpsuit and I'm like fucking cool in it again quick on the block button isn't that interesting though how somebody who saw you as a like intellectual or moral authority assumed you couldn't be fat yeah absolutely and I really made an effort to be a character in my own story I really made an effort to be like here is me I am a person, yeah. partially because I wanted to establish that I am a single person running all of this and I don't have time to yes. sort of do all the stuff that people want me to do. And partially because, like, I want to exist. Like, if I'm doing yeah. this work, I want to be part of it. But I hadn't consciously thought about not featuring myself that much because I, I use my memoji a lot in my stories yeah. and, like, respond to things. <laughs> and she's fat. Yeah, It's a really interesting question. I don't feel like I consciously try to hide my... No, I think probably at the beginning I would have. I think probably at the beginning I would have been, oh, does this make me look fat? Does that make me look fat? And then... Because my fatness has also been a journey because I became fat very recently. Yeah. And so I've had to, at the same time as gaining a profile, I've had to come to terms with I'm gaining a profile when I don't look like I think of myself looking. Yeah, And. That's just sort of being an iterative thing. And it's not that I look worse than I think of myself looking. No, it's just, just that it's I just, just look different. different. Because it's yeah. like been a change that's happened to me in my 30s. And so yeah. it's been like an interesting process. So yeah, I think initially I was like, I don't want to look fat. And now I'm like, well, I am fat. So that's the way you're going to look. Yeah. And so I've just had to sort of become comfortable with that. And that's another thing as well as like, how is my messaging and who am I speaking to and how am I speaking to them? I've just had to become comfortable with just like, well, this is what I look like. Yeah. My ideas are still really fucking good. And this is the body that they've come from. And I try to post more. Like I did a TED talk recently and I couldn't find anything to wear. Thank you. I couldn't find anything to wear. And I did a thing for Amazon and I couldn't find anything to wear. And I just, again, because I've come to it later in life, I was shocked by how hard it was to find something that I wanted to have on my body. Yeah. And so I sort of tried to be open in my stories and just be like, what brands are doing good work for fat bodies yeah and I've tried to put that increasingly front and center and posting in my grid for American Black History Month about fatness and blackness in history and how that comes together but yeah it's sort of all been stuff that's all been unexpected and all come together at once and all needed to sort of have some mental time to process yeah I mean being on social and any part for your career is like a hard thing to manage constantly because it's constantly changing Mm -hmm. it's not like a predictable thing every day what's going to happen how it's going to go you know what's going to pop up and it's hard to constantly be public in that way even to just your followers if you're feeling at any kind of way or you're changing or you're you know part of the reason I've been off social is because I feel like I've been doing a lot of self-work mm-hmm. and I haven't wanted to do it in public mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with my body I'm st- I'm fatter than ever <laughs> but <laughs> like it's you know it's hard to be vulnerable and public in that way which especially when you're talking about important personal things to you already you know yeah and it's gonna sound like a real like calculated or like set up thing but when I first started becoming fat I remember I had found it really hard to find clothes to go on holiday 
gone on holiday and sat in a hotel room and listened to some episodes of She's All Fat. Like really? that, Yeah, that was really important to me. That Aww. sort of hearing people talk about fatness as not a bad thing, but just a thing, was really yeah. important to me understanding my new body and sort of what that meant and how I could sort of move in the world with it. So that was really important to me. That's so nice. That's what I want. That's exactly (laughs) what I want. Dang, that's so nice. Well, before we go, do you have any recs for our March Media Fatness listeners? Any writers or Insta accounts or TikToks or TV? Anything you've been consuming through your ears or your eyes or your fingers, <laughs> any media. Or your toes. <laughs> yes. Um, so my, I guess my, my favourite fat recommendation at the moment is Sophie Hagen. Another Love Sophie. Her. Okay, Another Sophie. perfect. Great Sophie Club. Love her. Exactly. <laughs> and they are a... Oh, yes, they. Thank you. Thank you. They are a non-binary fat person who I really admire and I really respect and who... I think is doing great work and they have a book called Happy Fat, I think. Yes. And I think they're great. And yeah, if I could sort of send people in one additional person's direction, it would be Sophie's. We had them on, I think last season to talk about that book. And I love that book. Great book. Very much recommend. So good. And also I haven't seen what they've been doing since I've been off social, but the beginning of quarantine, Sophie was really funny on Instagram because mm-hmm. they just like never left their apartment. They'd just be like, yeah. hello. <laughs> and they like, were like, oh, learning fair. to cook. They yes. were like, oh, I'm going to learn to do this thing today. And I was like, okay, oh let's, let's go and help Sophie make some bread <laughs> or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's really bad. Oh my God, great wreck. Sophie Club, great wreck. Sophie Hagen is a treasure. They do spell their name with an F, which mm. is controversial questionable yeah but we'll we'll accept it we'll accept it thank you so much for coming on the pod we love to have you here always tell people where to find you and where to buy the book and about your next book thank you so thank you for having me you can find me on instagram at official millennial black you can't find me on twitter because i don't have it because it seems scary (laughs) Um, it is don't go on twitter And my book came out in the rest of the world in October. My book, Anti-Racist Ally, came out in the rest of the world in October of 2020. And then it came out in America and Canada just a couple of days ago. So it came out in the middle of... I'm just trying to like do the, the calculations in my head. It came out on the 16th of February. And Woo-hoo. yeah, you can find a link to it in my bio or if you're just... In our show notes. Perfect. It's all, it's all over the place. It's all. <laughs> and again, if you want to learn about anti-racism, but you are financially unable to do that, you can drop me a DM and I will figure out a way to get you either a physical or digital copy of that because I don't know if you know, authors don't make any money, so it doesn't make any difference to me. <laughs> so I'm very happy to share it with you. Love that. Well, buy if you can to support. I recommend giving this book to all of your relatives that you don't want to have that conversation with that you've been meaning to have and then have another conversation with them after you buy the book. And we'll have you back on to talk about being fat as a grown-up versus Thank as you. a kid. Can't yes. wait. Yeah, it's really interesting. Like, it's been a really interesting experience <laughs> Experience for me and I'll try yeah. and think of how to make it interesting for your listeners too <laughs> oh I'm sure it's gonna be great to talk about because yeah I mean people will look forward to that I don't even need to explain it people will want to hear that okay thank you for being on the show I always love seeing you and thanks family bye, bye. thank <laughs> you for having me I love you <laughs> 
And that's the episode. And here are some of our beloved patrons. Thank you to Taylor Johnson, Noah DeHaan, Helena Shivo, Dale Hyde, Aaron Norton, Radia Valkanu, Dominica Malinowski, Caitlin Keller, Maddie, and Daniel Solomon. We could not make this show without you. Bye. She's All Fat was created by me, Sophie Carter-Khan and April K. Quio, who graduated. We are an independent production. If you'd like to support the work we do, you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash she's all fat pod. When you pledge to be a supporter, you'll get all sorts of goodies and extra content. Please make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's super important in making sure people find the show so we can grow the family. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to the stuff we mentioned today. And don't forget to send us your questions at fyi at she'sallfatpod.com. You can also leave us a voicemail at 213-375-5023 and we might even play it on the pod. Our episode ads are done in partnership with Acast. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, you can get started at acast.com. Our theme music was composed and produced by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. Our website was designed by Jesse Fish, and our logo is by Hannah Sanger. Lynn Barbera co-produced and edited this episode. Yelly Cruz is our magical junior producer. Our thin crony forever is Maria Vertel. I'm our host and co-producer. Our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter handles are at She's All Fat Pod. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Stay safe. We love you. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger. Feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.